0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series, and now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. In our garage, um, tucked in the back corner, underneath a pile of other boxes piled on top of it, we have a chest. Um, This chest has moved with us for as long as we've been married, It actually, back from... uh, Living in San Bruno, California, all the way up to Astoria, Oregon, to Bellingham, Washington, back to the Bay Area. Uh, We have had this chest um, since we've been married. Actually, from before we were married, it's a chest that my wife's uh, father built for her. Um, And in it was placed all of these items, these treasured items like um, her grandmother's silverware and china, um, some linens. We have in there a quilt that my mom had made us when we first got married. This chest is a very special chest. It's called a... Hope chest. Yeah. Do they still make those? I don't even know if they make them anymore, okay? They were very popular back in the day, and the idea behind them was this was um, given to a, a young woman who could store in there all of those things that she wanted and, 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 and was saving up in anticipation of getting married. And um, it's, uh, it took me five years uh, before I finally asked Betty to marry me, and I think her hope chest was becoming more of a hopeless chest. Um <laughs> No, no lie, when I finally did ask Betty to marry me and her mom found out about it, she said, Well, it's about time. <laughs> so I guess I was a little behind the curve. I don't know. Um, but it, it's symbolically, we all have one of those. We may not have it you know, physically, but deep inside the core of who we are, we all have these treasured dreams and, and our most, most uh, health, heartfelt hopes. Those deepest desires that are at the core of who we are, it's really, it's really at the core of what it means to be a human being created in God's image, because we were created with a future and an eternity in mind. And these hopes that we experience in this life are really anticipations of something more, something better. And, and we all have them, and that's why we decided at the beginning of this year, with a brand new year, to take the month of January and just talk about hope what it is, why we need it, and the difference that it makes in our lives. And particularly, how do you raise your reservoir of hope? And a lot of it was based on Ray Johnston's book called The Hope Quotient. And he identified seven strategies or seven Hope building habits that will help you raise that level. And don't have time to go through all seven of them in any length uh, this morning. Um, I encourage you, if you missed any part of the series, go back, listen to the podcast, watch the video cast online or through the Northgate app. But, but um, get in on this because this really makes a difference in your life. Ray Johnson identified seven hope building habits. The first is to recharge your batteries, to make sure um, that you don't let your life get so draining and so, di- um, so down. Uh, that you just feel drained all the time because when you're drained and your batteries are not recharged, everything feels a little more hopeless. And then um, taking, recharging your batteries and then raising your expectations. Instead of being stuck with what is now, start thinking about what could be, what might be, what would possibly be. And then to refocus on that future. Don't get stuck in your past and whatever failures you've experienced, but, but look forward to that future that God has for you. And then last week, we looked at four more of them, about playing to your strengths, knowing how it is God wired you up and gifted you, and, and use those things for His kingdom's sake. It builds hope in your life. And then along with that, refuse to go it alone, that there is an aspect of hope that is, is rooted in community. And then when we're, when we're feeling hopeless and we're alone in our hopelessness, it's intensified all the more. And then replace burnout with balance, to live a balanced life, because when you're burned out, things feel a lot more hopeless. And then the last one was simply um, play a great defense, which in essence means put all of these hope-building habits into your life before you need them. Build these things into your life. Raise that reservoir of hope in your life before you encounter the crisis. Because whether or not you know it, a crisis is coming. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying about troubles. You're either just coming out of one, you're about to head into one, or you're in the middle of one right now, you know. They, they just come. That's life on this earth. And, and what keeps us going is this idea of hope. And so today I want to kind of wrap up this whole series with this idea of why these things are so important. What is the difference that hope makes? Because hope, I think, changes everything. So we're going to look at a letter that Paul wrote um, to a church in a city called Colossae. In your New Testament, it's called the book of Colossians, just gets his name from the city where the church was, okay? And uh, we're going to read beginning, it's an opening, opening section, it's actually a prayer of Paul's for this church. Beginning in verse 3, and we're going to kind of skip because it's a lengthy passage. Um, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope, there's our word, spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope, held out in the gospel. Verse 25. I have become its servant by commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make it known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul writes... This hope is so vital. It's so important that I want you to understand how, how, how much it, it, it changes everything in your life. And that's what we're going to look at. How does, how does hope change you? How does it make your life different? How does it make my life different? And, and whether or not you are a Christ follower here um, today, and maybe you're just here kind of investigating, or maybe you came in here today feeling kind of hopeless, there are some principles here, and there's some things here that can change your life when you put your hope in Christ. And the first is this, that hope, this biblical hope, provides a foundation for all of our life. That's what Paul writes. He says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you. He said, hope is foundational. That biblical hope is a deeply held conviction that underlines everything else. And now, we use the word hope very, very loosely. We use the hope all the time, and, and, we, and uh, uh, what it refers to in a lot of different ways is not what we think of when we know of biblical hope. Sometimes we talk about the word, and we use the word hope, and it's more like just wishful thinking, okay? For instance, I had hoped that the 49ers would be playing next weekend in the Super Bowl. I had hoped that they would even make the playoffs. Obviously, that was just wishful thinking, Okay? Now, you Raider fans, you're used to that, okay? But this is, tease, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Poor Raider fans in this church. I have to do something to make it up to you. Actually, I'll tell you this. Right now, for the future, I have more hope for the Raiders than I do for the Niners, okay? Does that make you feel better? All right. That's just wishful thinking. That is not the same thing as biblical hope, nor is hope just a, a, just kind of a, Blind optimism, where we just kind of stick our head in the sands and believe it's all going to turn out, it's all going to get better somehow, okay? Biblical hope is something more solid than that, and, and it's, not, it's not false hope. See, false hope, that's when we put our hope in things that have no, absolutely no possibility of really making a difference, like someone who buys lottery tickets as a means of hoping to get out of debt. Okay, That is is not hope. That's a false hope. Biblical hope is something much more foundational. It is something solid and reasonable. Biblical hope provides a foundation. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. What he's saying there is there's something foundational to hope even below our faith. Our faith rests on something deeper. It's called Hope. Back in the early '90s, those of you who lived here in the time might remember there was a huge firestorm that swept through the Oakland Hills. Just it was it was devastating. It, it just wide swaths of land just totally devastated. Homes destroyed, lives were lost. Um, homes total everything just burned all the way to the ground. And that was in the early stages of Northgate. And so I was still kind of bivocational. I was part-time working and planting a church. And the other half of the time, I was working in construction. And my dad's a building contractor. And there was actually a home that that we had built when I was working for him about four or five years previous to that. So when everything burned down, um, that was one of the homes that got burnt down in that fire. And and what happened was because, because those plans were fairly recent and the engineering was all fairly recent, he got the permitting to rebuild right away. And so we went back to work and rebuilt that home. Now, what we had to do before that even started was an engineer had to come out, and he had this really special hammer. And what he did was everything was down to the foundation. There was not even the mud sills were left on them, just the concrete. And he took this hammer, and he started at the top of the foundation, and just started pinging it all the way down. Because the fire had been so intense that it actually so, so affected the concrete, it had weakened the concrete foundation. And with this hammer, he could tell the density and the strength of the concrete by pinging on it. And so he started at the top, and he would just work his way down until he got a good solid reading. And then he took a can of spray paint and, and painted a line. And he went all the way around the whole foundation of the house with this hammer, finding where it is. He said, okay, everything above that line has got to be chipped away because it's not strong enough. You can't rebuild on this foundation. There are sometimes the circumstances of your life rage through like a firestorm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is so devastating that it shakes you all the way down to the foundation. And everything is gone. And even the foundation is affected sometimes. You need this underlying hope that you can build back up on. That's the idea of biblical hope. And you find that hope in relationship with God. That's what Paul said. It is Christ who is in you. He is your hope of glory. Authentic hope is a byproduct of a personal relationship with God. Everything else that you put your hope in is going to crumble. Talked about this in week one, that hope is kind of like a wall that you lean your ladder up against. And we live in a culture and a society where there's a lot of really good, strong walls that you can lean your ladder up against. Your education, your abilities, your career, your finances, your savings, your IRA, whatever it might be. You got a whole lot of things you can lean your ladder up against. But none of them are going to be able to withstand the firestorm completely. The only true source of that kind of hope in our relationship with God probably one of the most well-known verses in the bible about hope is found in jeremiah jeremiah 29:11 it says i know the plans i have for you says the lord they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope a lot of people have that like written out and put on their refrigerator or maybe have a poster that has it with a sunset in the background or decoupage piece of plywood that it's burned into with footprints you know and the whole thing you know and and what you need to understand is you need to understand the context of that verse that's a very powerful verse but you need to understand the context to, to fully grasp it because that those words were written to a group of exiles off in Babylon this came at a point in Israel's history where the nation of Israel was no more They had been conquered. Israel was gone. Judah was gone. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. For all practical purposes, there was no Israel left. Those who had been left, the upper echelon, had been carted off into exile in Babylon in a foreign country far away from their homeland. And it looked like everything was gone. The foundations, everything was gone. And God said, yes, that's where you're at right now. And yes, you're going to be there a while. In fact, he says... You know what? Build a house, plant some vineyards, you're gonna be here for a while. But, but, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not for disaster, but for good. To give you a future and hope. Things look devastating right now. Things that you can't possibly believe, but God, I thought you loved us. I thought you cared about us. And it's feeling hopeless. And I just want you to know, there is still hope. So you need that kind of foundation for your life. And when you have that kind of a foundation, it gives you something else. That kind of hope gives you the strength to endure, no matter what the circumstances. Because whether you know it or not, Christ followers are not immune from bouts of discouragement and disappointment. Believers in God are not immune from difficult circumstances. Everybody goes through them. And nobody gets a pass on them. But hope doesn't need to die when our other hopes come to an end. There needs to be a hope that is underlying all of those. See, there are different types of hope. There are different levels, if you will, of hope. Um, There's what we call maybe preferential hopes. Lewis Smeads talks about this. Preferential hopes. Preferential hopes are the kind of hopes that we put our hopes in those things. But when they come to an end, life can still go on okay? And, and really, in and, and a lot of ways, life is a series of hope adjustments. Give me another example of that. Um, right after Christmas, my wife and I decided to take a week off. We just, Christmas was a very intense season around here, and there were a lot of great things going on, but it was busy, and we were just pretty tired, both of us, because in her job and in my job, both of us, we were just pretty exhausted. And so we had scheduled and made reservations to get away, just a little week getaway, the week between Christmas and New Year's. And we had it all set up. We had Booked the hotel, paid the deposit, had the first night record uh, uh, settled, and, um, and our flight was late getting in. And so by the time we got to the hotel, it was like 8, 9 o'clock, and there was a long line. This was the holiday season, right? So there's a long line at check, and finally we get up to the window. We get up to the window. I give my reservations number, and I said, okay, well, we have either a smoking king room, yeah, or we have a, a, we have a room, a non-smoking room, but it's a handicap access room which is, you know, that really big bathroom with the little tiny sink and the walk-in shower kind of thing. is just, just not comfortable. And, and so those were the choices. I said, well, wait a minute. I thought I reserved a king non-smoking room. I said, well, yeah, you did. But after six o'clock, we have to give those rooms away. I said, no, 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 no. I paid a deposit for that room. I, uh, that's the room that I had hoped for. That's the room I had planned. I said, well, that's, we don't have that room left. All those rooms are gone. All we've got left is a smoking king room or a handicapped king room. Okay? I felt like an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> I, there was no arguing with this guy. There were no, none of those rooms. No matter what I paid in deposit, there was no rooms for me like that. I had to make a hope adjustment. Okay? I had to decide. It was either going to be a smoking room or a handicapped room. And since I can get around in a handicap room, but I can't stand the smoke, I took the handicap room, okay? But hope adjustments, you got to do that all the time. There are those preferential hopes, like hotel rooms and football teams and those kinds of things. And they don't always pan out, but life goes on. It wasn't exactly what you'd hoped for, but it's okay. There's another layer of hope that you might call vital hopes. Vital hopes... Those are the kind of hopes that parents have for their kids, that they will grow up healthy, that they will marry well, that they'll they'll be self-sufficient, that they'll be contributing to society. Those are vital hopes. Vital hopes are are the hopes for a marriage till death do us part. Vital hopes are are for a healthy, long life. And sometimes those hopes get dashed. Your kids start making choices that are not wise and you know what the outcome of those are and you can't do anything about it. Or you've been married for so many years and all of a sudden your spouse decides it's not for better for worse till death do us part. It's really until somebody else comes along and it's devastating. Or you're not feeling well and you go in for some medical tests and the results come back and it's not good. See, those are vital hopes. And those hopes, when they get dashed, that's devastating. And what you need beneath all of those is that bedrock hope. It is that hope that sustains you when all other hopes die. That is the kind of hope that we all need. It supports and it survives everything else. That's the hope that's at the center of Paul's prayer. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. Endurance and patience. Remember in week one we said that's the definition of hope. That's what hope is. It's enduring and patient. Life's difficulties and life's disappointments actually can become a part of increasing our hope quotient if we understand how that works. Because what happens is, that, that sometimes those disappointments and those discouragements and those um, uh, dashed hopes, that's part of the sifting out process. That there were some hopes that we thought were vital hopes. You know, like when your teenage daughter says, Mom, if I don't get that dress, I'm going to die. <laughs> no, it's just a preferential hope, okay? You thought it was a vital hope, but you didn't get the dress and you didn't die. That was just really a preferential hope. And, and sometimes... Devastating circumstances sift out all of that. Sometimes it's the vital hopes that do die, and we're looking for something. We realize we've leaned our ladder against the wrong wall, and we got to find something more solid on which to put our hopes. That's what Paul writes about. He says, we know that these troubles produce patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. He says the underlying source of all of our hope is in the love of God. The love that he expressed to us when he gave his one and only son. Who gave his life on a cross. So that we could know that kind of a relationship with him. And the most important thing that we could ever possibly hope for from God is God himself. Or as Dallas Willard puts it, God's address is at the end of your rope. So Paul could write, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Hope gives us a foundation. It gives us the strength to endure. And it gives us one more thing. It points us to an eternal perspective. It helps us understand that this life is not all that there is. There is more to life than this life. He says, continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, the gospel tells us that we were created for eternity, that we were meant to live in an eternal relationship with God. And though we lost that because of sin, there is still a possibility for it. That's why Christ came and gave his life on the cross. That's why he expressed his love to us in that way, so that we could find that Eternal life. And that changes everything. We start looking forward to a better future, even though it's not yet here. And the way that we do that is not just to sit around and twiddle our thumbs until it comes, or to just hang on by our fingernails and endure until he comes, but to actually start making a difference because we know that what we do in this life matters. That what we do for the kingdom of God. Changes eternity. Jesus taught us to pray. Remember in the prayer that he taught his disciples? He taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he explained to us what that looks like. He told a story at the end of the age where there's a separation that goes on. He has one group over here and another group over here. And he turns to this one group and he he says to them, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was sick and you comforted me. I was in prison and you visited me. And it says, he said, and they will say to him on that day, Lord, when did we do that? When were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we, and we gave you something to drink? When were you sick and we comforted you? When were you in prison and we visited you? And he says, this, he says whenever you did it, for the least of these, my brothers... You did it for me. See, that's my kingdom come. God's kingdom come. That's what it's all about. That our hope that one day God will restore all things and redeem all things gives us the hope to start being a part of that work here and now in our lives. And when you take on that perspective, you begin to see signs of hope all around you. It's why we celebrate our baptism so much, because every life changed, every life redeemed, every step taken in faith and obedience to Christ is another sign of hope. God's kingdom come, and every marriage restored, and every family reunited, and every, every alcoholic um, that gets sober, every, every drug addict that comes clean, that is a sign of hope. That is a sign of God's kingdom coming, and we are a part of that. We partner with a ministry called Hope for Kids. It's it's our primary uh, missionary, worldwide missions partner. And Hope for Kids is involved in a couple of different things, primarily in, in providing hope for children, orphans all around this world, in Africa, in South America, in Eastern Europe, all over around this world. Now, Hope for Kids cannot rescue every single orphan in this world, but every child that gets sponsored Every orphan that is given an education that can break the cycle of poverty, that is a sign of hope. They're involved in drilling wells in in eastern Africa. Now, they cannot possibly drill a well in every needy village in all of Africa. But every well that's drilled to provide safe, clean water for a village is a sign of hope. See, that's why we do what we do. It is part of bringing God's kingdom to bear on this life here and now. And the only reason we do that is because we have an eternal perspective that we know that this life is not all that there is. But we have this life to invest in eternity. And hope is what gives us that perspective. It is an eternal hope. And in this way, our hope overflows. And that's what Paul writes about to the Roman church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you bow your heads with me?